Hey, everyone. This is Jason. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. We're going to do something a little different today. Normally, our format is for me to interview a guest every week, but today I just want to come to you with just a very messy message. Many of you know that for almost 20 years, I was, or a little over 20 years, I was a pastor, served in various different positions within the local church. And um, sometimes I just get a message that I need to share. And I've had one of those recently in my heart. And I want to share it with you because you're the folks that I interact with the most. Thank you so much to all of you who have left those 40 five-star ratings for us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for each one of those five-star ratings. Thank you so much for all of you who've left reviews, for every comment on Podbean, for those of you who read the blog at MessySpirituality.org and leave comments there. Thank you so much for all of the interaction, for all the love on our Facebook page, for all of you who come to the Messy Conversations closed group on Facebook and leave your questions and your struggles and your tears, your broken hearts on that group. I'm so grateful for every single one of you who engage with this podcast and the things that we talk about here. And a very special thank you to the 25 of you who make this podcast possible through your sponsorship on Patreon. Folks, if you have not left a rating, you haven't left a review, you haven't interacted with our blog at MessySpirituality.org, or become a patron over on Patreon, I want to invite you to do that today. So please visit our MessySpirituality.org website. You can find every episode of the podcast listed there. You can find prayers that I've written, just random thoughts uh, that I post uh, find our Messy Conversations group on Facebook and please answer the membership question so that we can know you are a listener of the podcast and we will get you in that group right away. We just want to keep it a safe place. It's got to be closed because it needs to be a safe place for people to air their doubts and their struggles without getting arguments or judgment in return. So please be a part of that. I would love to see you in the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. And of course, I would love to have your support on Patreon. Uh, I say it all the time. We could not do this podcast without you. The folks who support this podcast on Patreon are the ones who make it possible. And I literally could not do what I do without them. So thank you all so much for your kind support. Today, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the starting point to peace. You know, Jesus taught us, yes, he came and died on the cross. Yes, he came and announced the love of God from the cross to the very people who had, were in the process of murdering him on that cross. Yes, Jesus crossed the streams between, to use a Ghostbusters analogy, he crossed the streams between God and man and changed everything. He did all of that. But he also taught us a new way to be human, a way of living at peace with God, at peace within ourselves, and at peace with our fellow humans. Let's talk about the starting point to peace. Uh, the world today seems to really lack peace. And I know that in my own life, it's been a struggle for most of my 45 years to find peace. And I'm certainly not in a position to be giving advice. I'm not your counselor. I'm not your pastor. I'm not your guru, as Anthony Robbins would say. But I can tell you what's worked for me. The first step to finding peace, it's not something you do. 
It's not somewhere you go. It's not a sin you confess or a church you join. It's a revelation or an awareness that none of us have anything to fear from God. You've heard my story, most of you. When I was growing up, I think I was seven or eight years old. I believe I was seven. West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene near Dayton, Ohio. There was a lovely older couple who came to do a children's revival, and they taught us a lot of great things. And I know their hearts were definitely in the right place. Very sweet couple. But the children's revival on the final night, the climax of the event, led up to you know the altar call, the typical evangelical altar call that I used so much during my 20 plus years of local church ministry. Uh, it, w- it went something like this. God loves you. He has a plan for your life, but you're headed for hell. You're a sinner. You have broken God's laws. And because of that, you have chosen to spend eternity apart from God in the fires of agonizing hell. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross, so you have a choice, and you don't have to go to hell. So pray this prayer. Just repeat after me. Get baptized. Join the church. Give 10% of your income. Read the Bible. Pray every day and try harder to be a better person so that God will let you into heaven when you die. I don't know if that's exactly the message they preached, but that's what I heard. Little seven-year-old Jason, that's what he heard. And so, man, I would have prayed anything they told me to pray. After they described the fires of hell, absolutely, give me the fire insurance. I'll take it. I'll pray whatever you want me to pray. So I went down the aisle. I shook uh, Reverend Wood's hand, prayed the prayer. Not long after that, was baptized in the church, and that set up a lifetime of living out of rejection and fear. The religion, the faith that I bought into was not a revelation of how good God is. It was a revelation that God was going to lower the boom on me if I didn't do what he said. I did not have a holy reverence rooted in love of God. No, I had a fear. It was so much that way that I could not even look at a picture of Jesus on the cross without feeling completely and utterly condemned, just completely overwhelmed with guilt and shame at what I had put him through, what my sin had caused him. And that set up this barrier, right? So we all know that there's going to be good days and bad days in life, right? There's some days you feel like you've really got this Christianity thing figured out. You're reading your six chapters of the Bible. You're praying for however long you think you should pray to be holy. You're not smoking. You're not drinking. You're not cussing. You're not doing all the things that church tells us not to do. And so you're feeling good about it. On those days, it was tolerable. But on the days when I came up short, on the days when I didn't open my Bible, on the days when I couldn't press in in prayer, on the days when I did let the cuss words fly, on the days when I did uh, sneak a drink of something. That didn't happen very often. Alcohol has never tasted good to me. But on the days when I would uh, take a sip with my friend Rob in his garage as a teenager, uh, when that happened, shame would cover my life. I I would feel so bad about that. And again, you know, there's that difference. Paul Young taught us the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is over something you've done. Shame is being ashamed of who you are. It's, it's, 
It's an overwhelming sense of dread about who you are. I believed because of the gospel I had bought into, I believed that on my own, I was broken and disgusting in the sight of God. I was, it's that worm theology that, that we see so prevalent in Calvinism and, and, and a lot of Lutheranism, that worm theology, that piece of crap theology I'd bought into. And when you feel that way, you're living out of fear. Uh, You just cling to the blood of Jesus that by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, you're going to get into heaven. God has to let me in by default. He doesn't actually love me. He doesn't actually like me, but he has to let me in because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel I believed. And there is an awareness. There's a revelation that comes to us as we grow in our faith, uh, I hope that it's the gospel you heard from the beginning. You have nothing to fear from God. The God who's waiting to lower the boom on you is a mythical creation of religion. That is not the God. That is not the Abba of Jesus. We get a revelation, an awareness that we were created by love, from love, and for love. It's the revelation that God is love, and so are you. That your true self is pure love. And when we go through trauma of any kind, it could be religion, it could be abuse, it could be that someone who should have loved you the most hurt you the most, any kind of trauma, a protective shell goes up around our true self, consisting of all our self-hatred, our insecurity, our shame, our loneliness, resentment, regret, and so many other things. All of those insecurities, all of that rejection becomes like a hard shell around your true self, that pure love emanating from God's heart. Our true self, the reality is your true self is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's who you really are. You really are God's love song to the world emanating from the heart full of love that Abba has for you. That's who you really are. But each of us has that protective shell that protects us from the pain of the existence that we've known thus far here on earth. But each of us will come to a point, either in this life or perhaps in the transition to the life to come, when we recognize that true self seated with Christ. Jesus called that being born again or being born from above. It's that awareness that comes that God is love. He's not waiting to lower the boom on us. He just loves us because we're his kids, because he's our creator and he's good and he's love. And we don't have to do anything to deserve that. We don't have to do anything to earn it. God does not love us in spite of us. He loves us because God is good, but so are we. For each of us, there comes that point where we recognize that, that we are emanating from God's heart full of love for all of humanity. Now, it's important to remember that us becoming aware of that isn't what makes it true. It was already true. We just didn't know it until now. Through meditation, reflection, contemplation, we get reminded time and time again of who God really is and who we really are as well. 
And as we continue down this path of meditation, reflection, contemplation, we realize that we have nothing to fear in God. But if we have nothing to fear in God, neither do those who would consider themselves to be our enemies. And that's where the rubber really meets the road. It's the end of us versus them, where we realize there is no them, there's only us. That's where our peace that we found with God becomes viral. It becomes contagious. Finding peace with God and peace within is incredible. But learning to live at peace with our fellow humans, that's the stuff that changes the world. See, this is what Jesus was tapping into when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus didn't buy into a gospel that said God is out to destroy the world. He cannot wait to lower the boom on you. He's going to catch you screwing up and punish you for all eternity in hell. Jesus never preached that. He never believed that. He didn't operate out of that. That wasn't what his ministry was rooted in. At the baptism, when Jesus comes to his cousin, John the baptizer, I don't call him John the Baptist. I was a Baptist for most of my adult life, and there was nothing Baptist about John. All right, John the baptizer uh, is there baptizing people in the Jordan. Jesus comes, the heavens open up, the, the spirit descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's important to realize there is that Jesus had not done any miracles. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't started preaching the kingdom. He hadn't gone into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil yet. He hadn't done any of those things. All Jesus did was show up. All he did was look up. All he did was present himself to his father's, uh, to, to his father's ambassador on the earth and say, I'm here. I'm in. He had not done any spectacular anything. And that voice from heaven affirmed just who Jesus was. Just, I love you. I'm so proud of you. You don't have to do anything to deserve that. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. How much different would our lives be if we operated out of that? If we could hear our Abba say, I am the beloved son or daughter. I'm the beloved child of God in whom God is well pleased. That's who you are. You are God's beloved child in whom God is well pleased. And operating out of that changes your whole perspective about life. It changes the way you look at yourself in the mirror. It changes the way you interact with God. You're going to come boldly before the throne of grace. You don't come in like a worm with your hat in your hand. Uh, Please, sir, may I have another? You're not pulling some Oliver thing. You're walking in before the throne of grace knowing that your Abba is the creator of it all and loves you more than you can imagine. My eight-year-old, well, actually just turned nine yesterday. My nine-year-old knows he's got me wrapped around his finger. He knows that I love him. He knows there's nothing I wouldn't do for him if it was in my power to do it. All of my kids realize that. My daughters, my two sons, they know it, that I love them, not because of their performance, but because they're mine. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to do anything to earn the blessings of this life. They just know I love them. They know Brandy loves them. 
At least I hope they do. It's our job to remind them of that. Well, that's that's who our Father in heaven is. That's who God is. God reminds us all the time. He wants you to live out of your acceptance. You're not trying to earn his acceptance or blessing. You've already got it. So run with that. It changes the way you interact with God. It changes the way you look at yourself in the mirror, like I said. It changes the way we interact with our fellow humans. There's a place of pure love where we can find love even for the assailant who is in the act of ending our earthly life. Now, to those of you who've been abused, and I know that many of you listening have been horribly, you've suffered horribly at the hands of our fellow humans. I am not saying that you should ever put yourself back in the path that hurts you. I'm not saying you have to go back to that church that hurts you. I'm not saying you ever have to go around those family members that wounded you. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying Jesus tapped in to a grace, an acceptance, a love that emanated from God's heart that allowed him to forgive those who were murdering him while they were still in the act of carrying out his murder. Doesn't mean he volunteered to do it again. Doesn't mean you have to volunteer to do it again. But there is a place of rest in God's love that you don't have to carry the pain of that forever. And listen, I know many of us uh, have been diagnosed with mental health disorders or um, we've had therapy, we've been prescribed medication, and all of that is wonderful. And God can use every bit of it. I'm a strong believer in therapy. I'm a strong believer in medication. If you need to take medication to deal with past trauma and abuse and all that, take your medicine. That, as, as our friend Steve Austin said, we can find the body and blood of Jesus in our prescription the same way we can find it in our communion elements on a Sunday morning. You do what you have to do, but there is that love that emanates from the Father's heart where you don't have to carry that burden alone, and that can make it easier. You know, most of us don't realize that we are love. We don't have any trouble thinking of God as love. We don't have any trouble thinking of Jesus as love. I mean, you know, we see that picture of Jesus suffering on the cross, and we know that that emanated from love. But thinking of ourselves are love. Many of us don't even feel loved ourselves. We were taught from a young age that we're irreparably flawed and unworthy of love. And I'm here to tell you today, that is a lie. It's always been a lie. And those of us who struggle to feel okay with loving ourselves, it feels selfish or it feels um, you know, extra in some way. It's okay to love yourself. It's okay to let love in. You are worthy of love. And I'm so sorry to so many of you who some man or some woman, some member of the human family along the way, maybe more than one, made you feel less than worthy of love. And today you feel broken and flawed and judged and rejected, and you feel like you will never measure up. And that is a lie. That is not who you are. Yes, God is love, but so are you.
It's okay to enjoy being loved. You've been loved this whole time. So how do we soak ourselves in that? How do we remind ourselves? Once we get that revelation that God is love and so are we, that we have nothing to fear in God, that he's not going to lower the boom on us, he's not going to send us to hell for all eternity, that if there is fire and brimstone at all, it's just burning away that hard shell, that hard exterior, so that the pure love can be who we are in our entirety. That there is no eternal damnation, that that a loving God would not do that to any of his children. How do we soak ourselves in that? After we had that revelation, how do we keep that in front of ourselves? Well, what works for me is, is just to ask God, God, make your love known to me. Remind me every day how much you love me. You know, early in our relationship, Brandy used to write me a lot of notes. I, I think I wrote her some notes too. Bought her a lot of flowers. Um, but I, I used to send her notes and she would pin those notes up in her little cubicle at work. She used to write me a lot of little notes as well. And they were just little reminders. Yeah, I had a revelation that she loved me, but those reminders were so key in our early young relationship to keep us on track and, and keep us, um, in, in each other's eye line that, that we had each other's hearts. And so ask God, ask your Abba to surround you with those little love notes, those little reminders of God's love for you. Another thing that really helped me is studying the mystics. Julian of Norwich uh, was my introduction to mysticism. Julian, we don't know a lot about Julian of Norwich, uh, the the church where she resided. Um, she lived in a she lived a very uh, almost like a hermit um, in a church called Saint Julian's in Norwich. So we don't even know that Julian was her name. She may have just been referred to as that posthumously, because that's the church where she was headquartered. We don't know her name. We don't know a whole lot about her. What we do know is this. She had a vision of the love of God that was incredible. That in the suffering of Jesus, she found a love from God that told her that all would be well. Uh, Here's the quote. I believe I'm quoting it correctly. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. All is well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. You have nothing to fear. This is all uh, time. History is unfolding in a way. It's all leading to something good for every single one of us. And we can live out of that right now. We don't know much about Julian of Norwich, but we know that she suffered a great deal, that she was on what she thought was her deathbed. The priest had already been called in to to read her last rites. And she had a revelation of Jesus. And a few days later, she was completely and totally recovered. They didn't think she'd survive. She has this revelation of who God really is. And she says, in God, I found no wrath, no blame, no finger pointing of God towards us for any human. 
And this woman, we don't even know her true name, is the first woman to ever write a book in English that's been preserved. And so we have a book today, Divine uh, Revelations of Divine Love, Julian of Norwich. Again, we don't know if that's a real name. But we have this book, this revelation of this woman who seemingly lost everything and then on what she thought was her deathbed found a love that blew her mind and blows mine when I read her work. I hope you'll do that. Julian of Norwich, Thomas Merton, John of the Cross, as well as more contemporary mystics like Brennan Manning. Where are my ragamuffins at? I know so many of you who listen to this podcast have been impacted by the work of Brennan Manning. How about Richard Rohr, the Universal Christ, James Finley, Cynthia Burjolt, the Center for Action and Contemplation is putting out some incredible materials right now. And those are great resources to remind you how loved you really are and that your true self is rooted in love. You are, God is love, so are you. And then finally, just make space in your life for the still small voice of God. Each of us has a way of instinctively knowing how we best experience God. For some, it's meditation. Some, centering prayer, solitude. For others, it's driving. For some of us, it's driving really fast. Walking in the woods, communing with God in nature. Maybe it's a particular writer that you read or a singer that you hear the voice of God through most clearly. I'm not an athlete, but I've heard some athletes say that they feel the presence of God when they run or hit a golf ball. Whatever your thing is, do that intentionally and consistently, inviting God to bring peace into your heart and your life. Peace isn't easy. We must experience peace within before we can live it out in community. The good news is, that wherever we are on the journey towards peace today can be a starting point in the direction of peace. And Jesus leads the way. I, I hope that's been meaningful for you. I didn't mean to really get going preaching today. I just wanted to share a message that's been on my heart with those of you who listen in week to week. I'm so grateful for you. Um, our January of 2020 was an incredible month. It tripled our highest downloaded month previous for any month previous. And you folks are blowing my mind. I am so grateful for all of you around the world that are listening. And I want you to know that I love you, that I pray for you, that you encourage me with all of your comments and all the things that you say um, in response to the podcast episodes, you are a gift to me, and I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I want to close with a prayer today. It's a prayer that I wrote yesterday. I was waiting for an elliptical. The gym that I go to is very crowded, and they only have three working ellipticals right now, and they were all occupied, so I was just kind of walking around the weight machines um, waiting for an elliptical. And this kind of prayer just kind of rose up out of me. And I wrote it down. I posted it on Facebook. I put it on Patreon for our patrons there to make sure they saw it. But I just want to pray it with you now. And 
if you would, would you find this prayer either on my Facebook page or, you know what, I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. And you can find it there and pray it with me for the next, I don't know, let's say seven days. Creator of all, who keeps no record of wrongs, who points no finger in blame, who loves every member of the human family with scandalous love. Teach me to see you, to see myself, and to see my fellow humans through your eyes. To hear with your ears, to serve with your hands, to forgive with your grace, and love with your heart. Amen. Thank you, friends. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another interview episode, and I am so grateful for you.